Hello and welcome to Hammock Stories, a podcast for people seeking inspiration while on their journey to finding identity, meaning, and community. Every week, your hosts, Tu and Chenny, will be asking an everyday hero to join us in our hammock and share their personal story of how they've arrived at themselves. Slow it down. Nothing to do, abandon the cars, map our way with the stars. In this episode, we're joined by Gabby, who we met at the Toronto Podcast Festival in the fall. She studied neuroscience at the University of Toronto, and her work has been published in the Journal of Neuroscience in the Annals of Neurology. Currently, she's the creator of a podcast called Young Queer Sick, inspired by her own lived experience of wanting to better the quality of life for the disabled, chronically ill, queer individuals, and bettering the communication with the the medical establishment. In this episode, Gabby shares her story of living with an unknown diagnosis, which has led her to lose key physical abilities and force her to stop her master's program. She shares how she built her muscles of courage and resilience, some daily life hacks of living in Toronto and getting around, and just her huge heart of community building, activism, and making the life of others that are going through similar experiences better. All right. Hi. Welcome to Academic Stories. Hi. It's so nice to be here. It's super cozy. Like, extremely cozy to be here. So thank you for inviting me. Yay. And Gabby, you've, um, when I first met you, you talked about having your own hammock. Yeah. Um, so I, my hammock is usually my safe space. And I had one on my balcony all summer. And hopefully when the new balconies are built in my building, uh, I'll get to put my hammock back out. But if not, I'm buying one of these uh, hammock holders and just sticking it in the house <laughs> and saying whatever <laughs> because this is awesome. It's, it's honestly the best piece of furniture we have in our home. So yeah. I would highly recommend it for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I After having a hammock, I was like, I if people would be like, the world would be more chill if people had hammocks. Mm. Yeah, I'm just, I'm a very big fan of hammocks. So when you told me about your podcast, I was like, how do I get inside this hammock right now? <laughs> yeah, and I, I really like how you lit up. Like your eyes were like, oh, <laughs> yay, like this is my relaxed and comfy space. Because it sounds like life has been pretty hard. Yeah, life changed a lot for me. So if we want to start about how I got here, I am yeah. I would kind of like to start about how I got here today, like physically. So I use a power wheelchair um, and also other mobility aids to help myself get around um, because of an undiagnosed uh, um, neuromuscular or brain muscle disease. That makes it hard for me to walk and makes me very tired and makes it so that um, I have... um, a catheter so I can't 
pass urine myself. So it goes into a bag, and I have problems with uh, my bowels as well. I have problems with my blood staying where it's supposed to be, problems with balance, the whole gambit I have problems with. I literally bring a 20-page spreadsheet to my doctors, and they get scared, and I like it. I like it when the physicians get scared. <laughs> At least it's not just me. <laughs> and uh, as you can tell, I take it all with a bit of humor. Yeah. But... In getting here today, I used my power wheelchair, so um, I kind of wanted to give um, people a bit of an idea of what it's like to actually get somewhere using a power wheelchair in Toronto. Um, so I had thought that I had made an accessible way of me getting here today, and I went to Castle Frank Station using the subway. So I went from my station to Castle Frank and then realized that Castle Frank wasn't accessible. Um, and then I had two choices. I could go on to Broadview, make this longer, be late, and go on. Or I could ride up the escalators with a wheelchair, which I don't recommend anyone doing. But I do sometimes because I'm really pissed off about the accessibility of things. So I got basically got somebody very strong behind me to hold the handlebars in case my wheelchair, like, tipped backwards a little bit. But I basically rode the escalator up both of those and then went, okay, now it's time to wait for the bus after wait, doing wait, wait. Hang on. You rode an escalator? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, like, can't. Like, I'm trying really hard to visually imagine. Like, first wheel goes on the first step. Back wheel goes okay. on the second step. Okay. Third step, there is a very, very large person holding your, um, holding basically there's, like, handlebars for your wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And in, and with me, I'm holding onto the handrails with my dear life. Jeez. It is not safe. It is You should not do it. I do it because I get pissed off. Thank you for coming, and thank you for doing this hack to even get here. <laughs> thank you. I'm, I'm curious, like, if it, it, sometimes we start kind of at the beginning of, yeah. um, tell me about your childhood. Like, tell me about, like, when it started yeah. for you to know that, I, I guess, the, the, the quality I see in you is so, like, courage and courage to, like, stand up for what you believe in. Um, in your childhood, like, where, where did that come from? Where did, when did that start? Um, childhood, definitely, like, I was a very studious child. Like, I always really liked learning. Like, I grew up in Quebec originally um, and then moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee when I was eight with my family and oh. um, my um, two sisters. Myself and my uh, both of my parents moved all the way down to Tennessee, and I think that got a lot of courage and resilience because I didn't know English, because English is my second language and French is my first. Mm. And so that brought out a lot of, like, you can't just speak French in an English accent. Mm. Like, I tried that one. It doesn't work. <laughs> I tried it really hard. No bueno. Like, does not work. So then... I think it started a bit then, and then in the third grade, I almost failed, and by fifth grade, I had straight A's. So oh, wow. I was a very studious child. I always enjoyed a challenge, and I always wanted to figure out, like, why stuff happened, especially because my both of my sisters got sick a lot earlier than I did. 
Um, my youngest sister got sick when she was 12, and she had a bad scoliosis mm. um, that needed many surgeries. She was in chronic pain. She's still in chronic pain, and that is something that led with her her whole life and will. And then when I was 12 and my eldest sister was 21, she got diagnosed with relapsing, rheumatic, r- relapsing remitting MAT, multiple sclerosis, which for people that don't know leads to um, a lot of different things, but does lead to, um, for her at least, a lack of movement and very much like a slowly ongoing paralysis. And like that's with fatigue, with all of the other things that come with MS. But like through that, like our entire family just had to get brave. We just had to get brave that, like, things were not going to be easy, but that was going to be okay because, like, nothing ever, nothing is ever easy in life. And, like, that was, like, from the very beginning that, like, some things are hard, but we deal with it, but we deal with it. And we're, you're, you're going to put, and not even putting on a brave face, but, like, like, my parents were very rational with how they dealt with it and how they told us things. And, like, we're very rational in saying that, like, your sister has MS. This is what it means. Um, this is where you can look it up online and get more resources and research more. And, like, from there, I just more and more studious and just wanted to always help and always go... Um, my interest was more medically at first, definitely, mm-hmm. and I was very much on the medical track of things. Um, when I started getting symptoms, I was in my master's degree for um, uh, neurobiology, so I was looking at connections in the brainstem that um, keep you paralyzed while you're in your dreaming sleep so that you don't punch the person next to you or in back in the day so that you didn't wrestle around and then get eaten by a tiger or something like evolutionary mechanisms to keep us to keep us still while we're asleep and um, when I was I was doing research and like slowly but surely realized that I was getting sick and then still tried to do the masters but ended up realizing that that was not my path forward. And I think... How, how many years ago was that? I think that was two, two and a half. I stopped a master's. And because I tried to go for a while, I did... Th- I I was in my master's for three years and up to the thesis writing stage and just could not finish it with the mental capacity that's required and the short-term memory loss that I'm ex- that I experience as well as, like confusion and inability to know which day is going to be a good day and which day I'm going to have to stay in bed all day. Um, there's that's That was a very difficult thing, and that, I think, was a big part of having a lot of courage. The biggest part, though, for myself was coming out to myself when I got sick and, wow. like, looking at myself in the mirror and going, what you we don't know what's going on. Look at yourself in the mirror. What do you want in your life? What do you actually want? And, like, who are you sacrificing anything for other than yourself? Mm -hmm. And that very much, like, 
changed a lot of the ways that I interacted with people and I interacted with myself and the people that known me have known me for a long time. My friend Alex, who has known me since I was nine years old, has told me as I come more and more into myself that she's like, it's just more and more you. Like, I recognize you more and more. Like, it's just, she's like, it's more you. It's exactly you. Mm. It's just, like, for her, it was literally, like, unwrapping the levels of the onion. And then she's like, oh, this is you so much more. Like, there's so much more mm-hmm. you, but it's the same you. And so, I don't know. I don't know when the bravery started, but I'll definitely put my parents on that one. They, they did really good. How, how do you know you're doing something that feels more like you? <sighs> I knew something that felt more like me when I can sit in it and not have any question that in my head that that's, like, where I'm supposed to be. Mm. Like, it's hard. Like, I've done a lot of mindfulness. I do mindfulness daily. It's a daily practice. Um even through the day of how I go through my thoughts. But, like, to know that, like, when, whether it's wearing a blazer or wearing a skirt or wearing a necklace or deciding to wear a bow tie, it's when all of the rumbling inside stops. Mm -hmm. Like, we all know that rumbling inside and, like, the uneasiness in the belly and all of that, it kind of stops for a second and you're like, yeah, Like, I'm not trying extra hard to push against something else to get to the place I am right now in my body. Like, that's kind of when I feel like it's really, that that's really me. Because I've spent a very long time trying to make sure that as femme presenting people that we present in a pleasing way. And as I'm unlearning that, it's making me much happier with myself and, like, just much happier with the way that, like, I can even go about disability. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it encircles everything. Like, I know it's a good idea to use my chair, like, when I sit in it and I realize that, like, oh, okay, it's, this is, a load has been taken off. Because a lot of times you don't know the load is there until it's off. Mm. And once you realize that load coming off, you'll never be able to unlearn that feeling. Mm. And then you'll search for it in other things. And I found that very much when I learned the load off feeling, Mm. I learned to apply it to other things. Did this start two years ago? Yeah, this started three and a half years ago now. Mm. So I am very much newer to disability but I am taking it as a full, like, disability activism role and something that I want to work in as well as just make sure that, like, whatever, like, whatever accessibility we have now is because somebody before us did a lot of work and cried a lot and fought a lot for us. And I think that... In that respect, I would like to do the same, Mm. even if it's one thing, even if it's just leaving, like, one thing in this city better. Like, the reason that we have the wheel-trans, not the wheel-trans, but the support person card for the TDC is just one one person. 
one person decided that that was a thing that needed to get done and got it done. Mm-hmm. And I, I use that. Yeah. Like, if it's one thing, like, that's it. Like, to just add so that it's easier for the next for the next generation, whether it be the next generation of queers, which, like, those queers are going to change the world. Those baby queers are going to change the world because it's half of the next generation. Laughs into my tea. I'm like, (laughs) 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 but, like, it's, I don't know. I I think it's really incredible that, you know, in this uncertainty of, of what you even have as an illness, mm-hmm. you're you're spending your time mostly thinking about the world and and others that are coming um, after you, and so I think that's really cool. Thank <laughs> um, you. Like and and I guess it's like how was there a sh- was there because I. Through my own illness, I, I know, like, I've gotten into these holes of poor me and, like, how do I, like, get out of just me? Yeah. But, like, what you're, what I see you're doing is, like, kind of when you're focused on other people, you're, you're, you're motivated. And so how, 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 how would you tell others or teach me <laughs> how to kind of go from between that, like, of, of um, yourself and then um, others? I I totally see where you I totally see where you're coming from with that question, but part of me is it's a coping mechanism that if I I can't spend all the time figuring out what's wrong with me, I used to spend so many nights, hours on like research sites of like research articles and trying to figure it out myself as a former neuroscientist and like. M- not being able to figure it out made me feel like I failed in neuroscience and failed in my degree. And so as a coping mechanism, I decided that, one, that wasn't true. Because if people that already have their degrees can't figure it out, mm-hmm. then it's kind of not fair for me to put myself into having to be the best at everything and figure out my own disease, even if as patients we want to do that. Yeah. Because sometimes you feel like the medical field isn't pushing hard enough. Yeah. But in another way, it's part of my personality is I get lots and lots of of joy and, like, the rebooting of my battery by helping other people and by, like, thinking about the ways that, like, I can make what I'm going through easier for somebody else because a lot of the times, like, I have, I have an elder sister that has a more progressed quote-unquote disability than I do and like I for me things I find like rewarding are finding things that like she would be able to use like she loves facial stuff and it's finding things that she would be able to use even while not being able to use her hands like whether it's getting a a facial spray that does that does like a facial washing instead of having to have her husband wash her face. Because imagine somebody else washing your face with a rag every day. Like you're gonna get pissed at the end. No matter how much you love them, you're gonna get pissed. Okay. So like thinking about like like things like that and hacks like that and coming from research, I have such a mind that like wants wants to better and yeah. wants to like 
gather as many disabled people as possible to make, like, a disability collective that just changes, like, the world. Like, that's what I want. I want disability anarchy, and I just want us to, like, have crip power. Like, that's basically like that. The way I think I, I do it is I surround myself more and more by people who are sick, people who are... Um, people who are disabled, people who are neurodivergent, and, like, people who are um, deaf, capital, and small d, um, and, and or hard of hearing, because it's, like, the more I learn about other disabilities, the more I can be inclusive. Because just because I'm inclusive to my disability doesn't mean sh- And, like, learning more and more about that has made me happier and has made me feel like I'm less of, like, a fraud. Yeah. Because, like, a lot of times we have a lot of complex feelings about our disabilities. Like, what I'm hearing you say, uh, and I kind of realize this myself, is that, you know, disability is, or any any illness gives, gives, it's like a new path or new gifts into understanding um, compassion. Yeah. And and learn being in more people's shoes, kind of understanding that we're all there is no normal or there is no status quo thing. Yeah. Everyone is different. Everyone is different. And I and I love the framing of gifts because, like, I can only imagine some listeners listening and thinking, "Wow, I don't have a disability, and I still don't know what it feels like when I'm being myself." Yeah. So I think, like, when you said the story of, "Oh, well, you know, it's like." It's like a burden, burden's been lifted or, mm-hmm. or weight's been lifted, so to speak. Yeah. Um, like, I, I, I feel like that's such a, like, a clear sensation where I think about even my own life. I'm like, I don't have those clear indicator necess- indicators necessarily. So in a way, it's kind of like, wow, what a cool superpower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Disability makes you listen, I think, more. And I think you might agree about that as well, is that you become a power, you become a super listener, to whatever your body's thinking or whatever your body's thinking of doing. You become a listener Mm. and you don't become um, the one who tells it what to do. Can you give us an example of the last time you listened to your body that where the outcome maybe surprised you or? Where the outcome surprised me? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, actually, last night I can tell you that. Um, Yes, Last night, I well, yesterday I went to Glad Day and had brunch and met some of my girlfriend's friends. And then afterwards, we had come back to her place and I had listened to my body because I was like, I need a nap. And I was like, I like, I needed a nap. And I was like, at first I was only going to take a half hour. And I was like, and when she woke me up in a half hour, I was like, I think I need a half hour more. Mm. Like, I listened, listen, I was like, I need a half hour or more. And by listening to my body, I got sex. So you know what? You listen to your body, and then later, <laughs> when your girlfriend wakes you up, maybe you both are in the mood, and you're in bed, and you're like, maybe we should bang. So you know what? Like, there can always be unexpected outcomes to listening to your body, and that could include sex. So that is the example I will give you for Great your example. day. Whoa. Listening to your body can be wonderful and can lead you to have wonderful times with wonderful people. 
Wow, with that kind of incentive, I mean, why not listen listen with those incentives? (laughs) It's just like you, you have to because on the days that you don't, your body will come back to get you. Like you're stealing yourself from tomorrow and you learn that. I'm learning it every day and I'm getting better at it, but... Like, the whole listening thing is why I am so able to say that, like, when I feel like myself in my things, it's very much because I feel very light Mm. and emotionally light, Mm -hmm. like, that I feel like there's nothing, like, oh, yeah, this is is me. Mm -hmm. Like, and this is me changes every single day, like, and, like, my acceptance of that, I think— is partly through my disability because I look really different day to day. Some days I can't walk at all. Some days I can. And some days I, like, need different aids. Mm -hmm. Some days my double vision is so bad I need to wear an eye patch. (laughs) Yeah. And then I put some uh, drag queen level eyeliner level on that. And I make sure that I have the greatest (laughs) makeup in the world that day. So. <laughs> and I just take a I take a positive spin on as much as everything I can. I'll demedicalize it and I'll be like, this is mine. Look at my gorgeous face. <laughs> so well, I know you you I, since you're gonna you are an activist in this area, um, what what is a message that you would give people that that are new on their journey to to illness, disability? Um, yeah, what would you? Grief is a longer process than you expect it to be. And grief doesn't look like what you expect it to be. Grief doesn't have to be you crying. Grief can be you being really f***ing angry and angry at the world. And you're going to be angry when you see a mom holding a little kid's hand and wondering if you can do that. That's okay for you to be angry. And if angry comes with tears and if angry comes with other things, it's okay. Just, like, don't limit your grieving because grieving is going to happen for a while and it's going to come in waves and there are really great great podcasts that you can listen to about grieving on other illnesses that can help you even if your illness isn't named or if your illness doesn't have like its own network there are a lot of other ways even sometimes listening to things in the cancer community can help you with that grief and that there's nothing for me to say to you of it's going to be okay because it's going to be what you're going to make of it. And it's not saying that this is all up to you now, that now that you're disabled, you have to figure out all that shit. You're going to figure out your people and those people will change. And that when the people that you had in your life before and after disability change a lot. Do not see that as a reflection of yourself, but a reflection of those people. Mm. Because they, you were not, you are not a worse human now than you are then. You're just, you're just on a different path than these people. And sometimes those people cannot follow you on that path. And it's gonna hurt a lot, but it's not because you did anything wrong. That's so that's lived wisdom right there. Yeah. So that is what I will leave people with because those are things that I struggled with for a very long time. But hearing, sometimes hearing the words, like hearing 
hearing the words that kind of like you needed to figure out something, like have brought me some of like the most like empathic joy I've ever had. Like somebody truly cared for me enough to tell me things that I needed to hear. And hopefully that is too what I'll be able to do with my podcast. Yes. So. Do you want to talk about your podcast? Um, a little bit. We're trying to get uh, around tables of individuals at different levels of different disabilities and or chronic illnesses to talk to each other and a medical professional in that field at the same, uh, on the same level where what a medical professional has to say is nothing more valuable than what you as the individual with the lived experience has to say and to change the dialogue we're having around expectations and expectation and interaction with ourselves in the medical field, and as well as how we take care of ourselves at home and around the world and, like, around, like, what is not home, around the city, around, like, life, because we have a lot of tips and tricks that the doctors don't know and and that each other don't even know and that having that conversation all in one room will change the way that people actually can access medical care and actually not access medical care, but access better medical care, how to better talk to your doctor. Because it's not you that's doing anything wrong. It's just sometimes that you and this person are coming from such different lived experience that they don't know, you don't know the words and they don't know the responses. So I'm trying to do that as well as just help the the queer, crippled, disabled, chronically ill community to just have um, a better quality of life by just learning, like, the, like, the weird things, like, that, like, which is better, Instacart or Grocery Gateway, and, like, why? Like, things like that. Mm -hmm. Like, the tips and tricks of that we do that, oh, I um, drink my laxative with ginger ale because it dissolves completely and you don't taste it. Mm. Like, when I learned that, that was a life-changing moment, okay? <laughs> like, Restorlax goes in ginger ale and it tastes like nothing, people, okay? Another person <laughs> taught me that and my life changed. That is why I want a podcast. Yes. Is because, like, you just need to know what to put your laxative in. That's why. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you guys for giving me the space to talk about these things and um, to talk about disability. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Hammock Stories. And thank you, Gabby, for inspiring us with your courage and resilience. For those navigating similar accessibility challenges, Gabby has kindly shared a few links to resources, which we've included in the description of this episode. See you next time as we're joined by Sophie Dahl, an emerging multidisciplinary artist with Métis Roots. Sleeping,